Yeah, we can clap that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, good morning, Edinburgh. How are we? We doing all right? Hey, you look good. That's good. Uh, at least most of you. Um, no. <laughs> no, you guys look good. Uh, no, a lot of great stuff. It's a great day at Edinburgh with Rock the Block around the corner. Just a lot of good stuff happening around here. Uh, just want to take a moment to... Uh, you know, to, to let you all know, we've, we're two weeks in now to our, our youth ministry, our swap ministry, our Awana ministry, almost 300 people in this building on Wednesday nights. Guys, it's just hopping around here. Ministry is taking place throughout the week as we're investing in youth and uh, the, these little ones, all right, in, in our Awana ministry. And uh, that, takes, that takes an army to do that. It takes a lot of volunteers. It takes a church. And can we just give a round of applause to all of our volunteers who are helping with this? Yeah, I want to echo just real quick um, something that Pastor Tyler uh, said. You know, Matthew 18.5, we read about this, this, this story where Jesus brings a child. He puts it in front of his disciples, and he makes this incredible statement. I want you to see this. Maybe you've never seen this scripture before or thought about this. But he says, whoever welcomes one such child like this that he has in their presence, in my name, welcomes who? Not the child welcomes Jesus into their life. It's a way to welcome more of God's presence into our life when we welcome children, serving them, to teach them about Jesus. And so if you're, if you're a person, man, I want more of God in my life. I want more of his presence in my life. One very practical, real way you can do that is by signing up to help us uh, when we go to two-service uh, two services with our children's ministry. So I encourage you to stop by that table on your way out. And here is my promise to you. If you do that, maybe you've never served before and you're like, it's time. It's time to jump in and serve in this way. I can promise you, you are going to see your joy levels increase. That's what's going to happen in your life. And if it doesn't, you can write me, okay? At Tyler Rowland at EdinburghChurch.org. Okay. Um, let him know all about it. Uh, we are in our series right now um, called A Higher Calling, okay? A Higher Calling. And we, 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 we talked last week, last week served sort of as an introduction about this topic of loving other people. And uh, loving people, not just when it's easy, but loving people when it's extremely hard. That's really what this series uh, is, is all about. And as I was thinking about this topic, this topic of, of love, biblical Love. It got me to thinking throughout history when, when things have been discovered or uh, when science has found things, the things that kind of changed the way we all think. Changing our paradigms, so to speak, paradigm shifts. Uh, it got me thinking about when, when we discovered that the world is round, okay, that the world is actually a sphere. And sometimes we think that was a somewhat recent discovery, and and it wasn't. It was actually discovered hundreds of years before even Jesus. Uh, Aristotle himself postulated that the world was a sphere, and you could tell this from from the eclipse by watching eclipses, and, 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 and was able to see that just like the moon the earth must be a, a, a sphere. And that was in conjunction with sailors who, 
Um, anytime a ship would be two miles out in any given direction, they would notice part of the, the ship would be hidden from view. And it told them, there, you weren't going to fall off the edge of the earth. The earth must be a sphere. It must be round. But when that came out, can you imagine what, what it, uh, how counterintuitive that is, this idea that the world is round. In fact, even today, there's people who struggle with that concept, right? You've heard of flat earthers, right? People who still believe it's all a conspiracy. I mean, they're out there. You might be, might be here today, okay? Probably Packer fans, if I had to guess. But, 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 but there are people, uh, we love you. Um, but there are people who even still today have a hard time believing it's all a conspiracy. There's no way you can have people living up here and have people living down here and that water can, you know, uh, work as a globe. I mean, how do you do that? And so it's so counterintuitive. People have a, still a hard time today wrapping their minds um, around it. Uh, you, you fast forward to things like the Copernicus Revolution, when Copernicus, you know, uh, was able to use a telescope and, and, and find out that the Earth isn't the center of the solar system. The sun is the center of the solar system. And, 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 and he was like, you can come look through my telescope and see it for yourself. I can, I can demonstrate it for you. And people just know there's no way that can be the truth. There's no way. And, and he got persecuted. And, and rather than people say, Copernicus, you're right, rather they threw him in prison that. I mean, you can just um, uh, imagine how these things, these discoveries, it takes a long time for us to get our mind around these things. And, and this concept of love is like that. This concept of biblical love, I'm telling you, it's a paradigm shift. It goes against the way we think things work. It goes against our intuition. It goes against, certainly, um, our culture. It's very countercultural. And yet, it's what Jesus calls us to. It's the higher calling. This radical life of love is what we as Christians, as believers, have been called to. Which is why in 1 Corinthians 12, before Paul jumps into chapter 13, this chapter on love, he says, I'm going to now show you the most excellent way. I'm going to show you the best way to live your life. This is what God is calling all of us to. And so last week I talked about these, these different kinds of love. Because in the Greek they have specific words to, to represent these unique aspects of love. In the English we just have one generalization, one general word. But in the Greek they rep recognize that there's different kinds of love. You've got eros, right? We talked about that last week. Eros is romantic love. And it's this kind of love that it's fulfilled by getting something from somebody else, okay? And it's not bad. Eros is from God. Romance is from God. And we have a whole book, Song of Songs in the Bible, about that. Most marriages start off with a lot of <laughs> Eros. I hope that continues in our marriages. Um, but that's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about, okay? There's philia love, another Greek word. And that literally means brotherly love, but it's this idea of family love or friendship kind of love. It's a mutual love. It's a give and take. You respect me, I respect you. And when that's in place, there's this general love. And uh, that's good. And, and families uh, operate this way. You, you don't have to be a Christian, by the way, to have romance, right? In fact, when our world uses the word love, it's probably most of the time talking about arrows, talking about romance. I'd say 80, 90% time. It's Talking about that, the concept of romance, but you also don't need to be Christian to experience, experience philia, family love. This is, these are common, this is common grace. It's something God created into the world simply because we're made in his image. 
This is something anybody can live out. This is something anyone can do. But what we're talking about is not eros. We're not talking about philia. We're talking about agape love. And and this is a unique, countercultural, counterintuitive, different kind of love. We said last week it's a sacrificial love, and it's an unconditional love. It's not a love that, that, that needs something from anyone else. It's not a mutual love. It's a love that simply gives. And if there is fulfillment in it, it's fulfillment in knowing that it honors God. And that God sees and that God smiles when we live out this kind of love, when we live out agape, when we live out agape love. And so this is what we've been called to, friends. That if there's any fulfillment, if there's any condition being met, it's simply that we know it's who God is and it's how we've been called um, to, to, to live our, our lives. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be looking at what does agape love look like in action. So we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, where Paul specifically shows us what this agape practically looks like uh, in, in action. And my hope for us, my hope for us is that this is going to, to, to fuel us as a church to love other people well, to love our spouse well, to love our, our family members well, to love people in the workplace who maybe are really hard to love, to love those people at school who can be very challenging to love, people who even offend us, people who disrespect us, people who even take advantage of us. Friends, we have been called to agape love, but Paul says it is the most excellent way because it honors God when we live like that. So we're going to start, and we're just going to jump in to um, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 this morning, where Paul says love is patient and kind. That's how he starts. He starts with this concept of patience and kindness. So first, let's talk about patience. This, this word patience, it used to be translated long-suffering. It's literally what it means, suffering long is, is actually the idea. And it's specifically talking about in our relationships. When relationships are challenging, when relationships are hard, you, you suffer. And, and what, what kind of way do you suffer? You suffer by enduring it, by, by, by not losing your temper. Okay, that's really what this idea of patience is. It's not losing your temper, which is why in verse 5 he kind of repeats it from a different angle when he says love is not easily angered. Okay, so it's like when, you know, it could be little things. Like when you tell your kids to do something and they don't do it. You tell your kids, you know, pick up your shoes. Don't leave your shoes in front of the door when daddy comes home and you come home and the shoes are, right, waiting for you, and you're tripping over them and breaking ankles, okay, just to get through your house. And then you say, kids, can we just pick up our shoes and put them in the closet? And then you come home the next day, and the shoes are waiting for you again. And so you have to step through them and try not to break your ankle just to get into your house. Kids, can we please pick up our shoes and not leave them in the entryway? And then you come home, and this time you can't even open the door because there's a shoe lodged between the door and the floor, and you're like, help, let me in. And by the time your wife lets you in, you just want to scream, right? Not that this has happened in the whole home or anything. And yes, it was my shoe that was stuck, but that's neither here nor there. 
There's these things that happen in our families, in our marriages. It can be worse than that. It can be offenses. It can be mean things being said to us or said to us behind our back. And what do we want to do? We want to lose our temper. But what Paul's saying is love, agape love, it doesn't do that. Agape love bites its tongue. Agape love stay, keeps its cool, stays calm, right? So that might mean, you know, when somebody says something, you don't say anything in response. You don't have to get in the last word. It means things like you don't have to write that mean post back to somebody who offends you online, right? Uh, maybe it means that uh, rather than say something in the moment, you don't wait for an opportunity for that person to proverbial turn their back so you can get in a cheap shot, right? Maybe it means not gossiping about that person. So you can kind of create an alliance and turn people against somebody. But you see what's going on with this, right? You see what's behind it. It's this, there's this anger in our heart looking for an opportunity to take vengeance. And Paul's saying agape love, it doesn't do that. Uh, one of the early church fathers, Chrysostom, he said this about patience. It is a word which is used of the man who is wronged, and has it easily in his power to avenge himself, but will never do it, okay? So it's the person who bites his, his, his tongue and keeps his cool. Uh, doesn't mean he doesn't have to have some tough conversations sometimes, but he doesn't do it out of anger. Now, this is passive. This is not doing something. Paul's going to take it up a notch when he talks about kindness, being patient is being passive and not lashing out in anger. Kindness is now something active that we do for the good of another person. In fact, this word kindness comes from a Greek word meaning useful. It was a word used of slaves in that day. It was actually one of the common names of slaves who were useful, who served. And this is the word that Paul's using and saying this is how Christians ought to see each other. We ought to see ourselves like as slaves who are, who are called to build other people up. And friends, get this, even the people who offend us and hurt us. This is the kind of love that Christ is calling us to. So it's encouraging somebody. It's, it's sending a gift to somebody. And, and I'm, I'm a little leery to give too many examples, because what I don't want to have, if there's a fight out there or something like that going on, someone's going to then go out of their way to do something like that, encourage or send a gift, and you're going to go, you're just doing that because pastor said so. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Encourage that. In fact, practice it yourself. We should all be practicing this. Listen, friends, it is not corny or cheesy to practice being kind to other people. This is something that Jesus taught us to do to going out of our way, to getting creative, to thinking how can we be useful to other people with the heart intention to build other people up, to help somebody have a brighter day, even our enemies. <laughs> this is hard to do, let's be honest. People who hurt us, people offend us, and we're supposed to be kind to them, not just patient, but actually go out of our way to be kind. And maybe you think, no, no, Paul's talking about relationships here where everything's swell. You know, he's talking about relationships where we generally like each other. No, he's not. He is speaking into a very harsh environment where these people did not like each other very much. In fact, it was so bad. They, this is the church of Corinth I'm talking about. They were suing each other, taking each other to court to take what the other person had. That's how, 
much animosity there was in, in this church towards one another. In fact, he has to call this out in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, I say this to, you, to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court. And this in front of unbelievers. Saying, what a bad witness that is. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. You're, you, there is nothing different from you and the rest of the world. You are not walking in the spirit. This is what's happening in the church of Corinth. And then look what he goes on to say. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? This is Paul's perspective on the matter, friends. But this isn't just Paul's perspective on the matter. Paul is just teaching us what his master teaches us. What Jesus taught us. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, right? This is um, very upside down for us. Countercultural, counterintuitive. When Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That idea of vengeance. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, you go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Wow. Is this not countercultural? Is this not different? Is this not counterintuitive to, to live like this, to turn the other cheek when someone offends you in front of other people, when someone disrespects you in front of other people, to turn the other cheek? If someone sues you and takes your shirt, you've given them your, your coat as well? Man, this is, this is, this is the calling, church. This is the higher calling. This isn't Eros kind of love. This isn't philia. This is agape, Christ-like love that we have all been called to. Man, is this, not, this is hard, hard, hard stuff. By the way, in Jesus' day, the context here was he's talking about the Romans who took advantage of the Jewish people, God's people. The Romans looked on them like they were dogs, treated them like dogs. Come around, get, come carry my bags, peasant. Or I'm going to stab you with my sword. I mean, that was the, and, and, and Jesus is here saying, don't just carry it one mile in for them. That was the law. You, you could only ask someone to carry it for you up to one mile. But he's saying, you go the extra mile. This, this is hard stuff for us to live. So how do we do it? I just want to give us a, a, a couple of thoughts and really just ask us a couple questions that might help make this possible in our lives. But here, here's my first question for you. How much do you really trust God? How much? How good do you really believe God is? How just do you believe he is? Do you really believe God will fight for you? See, if you don't believe that, you're going to want to take matters into your own hands. That's how you're going to live your life. You have to because no one else is, is going to do it for you. But what the Bible teaches is, no, we have a God who will fight for us, 
who will help us in these matters. In fact, Paul says this elsewhere in Romans 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, what? Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But he does say, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do you realize that person that you struggle with? And it might even be your spouse. It might even be one of your kids. It might be your parents. It might be that guy at work. It might be that person at school that's just impossible to get along with. But do you realize you can hand that person over to God and let God deal with that person? Do you believe that? I think a lot of us struggle to believe it. But here's what happens when you start to believe that God will take care of it. And you can just hand it over and you can just be patient and kind. Here's what you're going to actually learn. You're going to learn that you are the person that God is actually empowering in these situations. See, we often think we're going to be the victim, right? If somebody mistreats us and we don't respond, then I'm going to be a victim because I don't do anything about it. But what Jesus just said is you're not a victim. You are the one who gets to make the choice to carry the bag the extra mile. You're the one that gets to make the choice if you get sued for your shirt to give your coat as well. He's actually empowering you to say you are the one in power. You are the one who gets to make a choice with how do you respond and are you gonna respond in a way that dishonors God or are you gonna respond in a way that makes God smile? That's the choice you get to make. He's actually giving us power in the situation, which is why Paul goes on to say do not overcome Be overcome by evil, but what? Overcome evil by good. How are you doing trusting God these days? How are you doing? You believe him? He'll fight your battles for you? Giving you the freedom (laughs) to live this radical lifestyle? Second question I would ask for you is, do you realize how kind and patient God has been with you? (laughs) man it's so easily especially when we've been christians for a while we forget how patient and kind god is with us don't we and if i can say it bluntly friends if we stop and think about it for a second most of the time probably for many of us most of the time we are little snots i want you to stop and think about it I mean, even little things like getting to church, giving an hour to a few hours of your week to get to church where where you can have an opportunity to meet with God and thank God. For some of us, we can't even do that on a weekly basis. And I'm I'm not, this is no judgment, but I just want you to think how God sees that. God's like, I've done everything for you. You can't even get to church to show me thanks once a week. It's offensive. If you're God, that would be highly offensive. I mean, let's be honest for just a moment, okay? Again, no judgment. I'm a part of this. We can find ourselves getting more excited about young men and Tom Brady throwing a ball down a field and cheering about that and getting more expressive and excited about that than we can when we come into the house of God who's present with us in community and we get an opportunity to worship him and some of us stand there like, when is this going to wrap up? Highly 
offensive to the God who has done everything for us. And yet this is how many of us live. And yet, friends, I'm not coming down on us. What I'm trying to get us to see is what does God do? How does he respond? He says, I'm going to be patient with you and I'm going to show you kindness. What? It's because that's who he is. Bible says God is agape. He can't, you can't change him. I can't change him. Thank God. Amen. That's who he is. Thank God. That's who he is. He shows us patience, kindness, which, by the way, in my parenting, is why I now err on the side of grace with my kids. I just do. You can fault me for it. I just do. You know why? Because that's who my God is. He's a God who errs on the side of grace with me, and I need it. Anybody else? And how when we receive that and are reminded of that, can we not go, okay, this is who he is. This is the higher calling. This is how I'm called to live too. So friends, just a few questions, man, as I wrap this up, like, is there anybody that you need to hand over to God this week? Anybody you need to hand over to God this week? Say, man, God, I need you to deal with this person because I can't. Maybe that's what God's been waiting for, by the way, because you're trying to change somebody and you're learning you can't. So maybe what you need to do is set yourself free and hand that person over to God. Do some of us need to give God a little thanks this morning for his patience and his kindness in our life? And then I would ask you, do do, do any of us need to maybe do something that's active for somebody else? Is there anyone that came into mind during this message that maybe you need to reach out to and do something kind? Remember, love is active, friends. I want to encourage you to do that. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, (laughs) thank God you are who you are. We repent for forgetting. We're sorry that we lose sight of these things. But it is who you are. You have done everything for us. You deserve so much. You deserve so much, and um, we just want to tell you that we do, we do love you. We recognize we, we can't do this in our own strength, God, and so maybe some of us have somebody who's hurt us recently, or there's a marriage out there struggling, or we're struggling with our kids, or some kind of situation at work or school, and God, we just want to hand those people over to you right now, and just ask that you would deal with it, that you would fight for us, God, but that you would, by your spirit, give us the strength to be like you here on earth, to live out this higher calling to love them well. So so give us ideas, give us creativity and how we go about doing that, but help us, Lord, to live like you and to be a positive example in this world because that's what you've called us to and that's what we want to do. So we look to you this morning, Lord, to fill us afresh with your spirit and help us live like that, this most excellent way. We pray these things, Jesus, all in your name and by the power of the spirit and all God's people said, Amen.